Hello and welcome to the Samungos Podcast. This is episode 79 and today's episode is on disaster management and preparedness. Now this is a talk from the Pocketbook of Emergency Medicine. We're going to play that talk now. You can watch that lecture in its entirety at www.continuous.com forward slash LP forward slash St Mungos. And if you want to add CPD or CME certification and other premium benefits, you can sign up to continuous.com. Now, I got our speaker Lai Heng Fung on a call to give her top five pearls of wisdom. I hope you enjoy this episode. So, hello, Lai Heng. You're very welcome and thank you for joining me on the St. Mungo's podcast. Hi, Owen. Thank you for having me. Um, now, Lai Heng, we are going to play your wonderful talk on disaster preparedness, which you gave for the pocketbook uh, of emergency medicine. And you very kindly joined us today just to give your top five pearls of wisdom before we do that do you mind just for the benefit of our listeners just giving us a little background to you where you are in the world and what your professional background is sure um so i'm a senior emergency staff specialist um in sydney australia um and uh, i've been an emergency physician for um 11 years my passion is in uh public health and disaster. I'm the chair of the Public Health and Disaster Committee of the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine. Um, And uh, my area of interest include climate change and health, domestic violence, uh, reducing alcohol-related harm, um, and uh, also uh, cultural competency and uh, my anti-racism work. Fantastic. A wide range of topics. Uh, that's absolutely brilliant. Well, look, you're you're obviously very busy and you're very, very kind to join us today. And you're going to give us your top five pearls of wisdom. So over to you, Lai Heng. Thank you so much. Okay. So um, if I were to name five, I guess, pearls for emergency medicine, my first would be that uh, climate change is going to impact on the way we deliver emergency medicine and also on the health of the population in general. Um, So in terms of uh, disaster uh, management, uh, climate change is um, a risk multiplier for um, disasters, um, and we need to focus on disaster risk reduction rather than disaster response, um, because uh, we are not going to be able to just continue responding to these large disasters. We need to focus on prevention and on building community resilience. My second pearl uh, kind of relates to um, climate change and it's um, in order to deliver the best best healthcare we can, uh, given limited resources, um, we really need to focus on social determinants of health. And by that, I mean focusing on the whole patient, where they come from, where they live, um, where they're educated, um, what cultural background do they come from, and uh, just considering the whole patient when we see them. The third pearl I would say is um, that um, we need to recognise that uh, the emergency medicine community has really been a bit battered in the last three years. Um, We have um, had to um, work harder to 
provide more with less resources. And the COVID-19 pandemic is only part of it. I think it has exacerbated pre-existing problems in emergency, such as access block, um, an aging population, and a population that has more complex health needs. So in order to, um, to deal with the stress um, of uh, providing care in emergency departments, we need to really look after our well-being. Um, and by that, I mean, um, we need to focus on just um, trying to um, look after ourselves uh, better, um, give ourselves some time to recover from um, each shift, and also be kind to ourselves um, because um, we can't do everything to fix everyone. And at some point, uh, you just have to accept that you've done your best. Um, the fourth would be, uh, I guess, um, one of my passions is domestic violence. Uh, and uh, I think that in emergency departments, we can do better in identifying uh, victims of, emergent, um, of domestic violence in ED. Uh, and uh, we can also um, improve our um, support that we give to people who present to domestic violence. Um, and uh, I would like to encourage emergency physicians and doctors to focus on looking at domestic violence not as a social ill, but actually as um, a, a trauma and a medical problem that we can um, use our multidisciplinary input in ED to address and to fix. The fifth pearl is, uh, as an emergency physician, we commit to seeing patients from all backgrounds at any time and we do not close the door on anyone. And as a result of that, I think to be the best emergency physician that you can, you also need to be an advocate, an advocate for your patients because they are coming to you at the most vulnerable time and they come from a, a cultural background, a social background, and we need to understand it and actually um, try to advocate for the most vulnerable people um, that we see. So those are my five pearls. Fantastic. Wonderful pearls. Now we're going to jump into your lecture. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Dr. Lai Heng Fong and I am an emergency physician based in Sydney, Australia. Today, I'm going to give you a lecture on disaster management and preparedness. So this lecture aims to uh, help you learn about disaster management principles and also talk about some new advances. It also will help you learn about approaches in disaster management in low and middle income countries and to learn about the impact of disasters on clinical practice. The objectives of this lecture is um, to state the main principles of disaster management, state the four phases of disaster management, 
lists examples of disaster management in low and middle income countries and lists the impacts of disaster on clinical practice. So what is a disaster? When we think about disasters, we think about cyclones, tropical storms, and uh, floods, as well as uh, in Australia, bushfires. But how about um, we define the, um, what a disaster means? So the World Health Organization has defined a disaster as a serious disruption of the functioning of a community or a society causing widespread human material, economic or environmental losses that exceed the ability of the community or the society to cope with its own resources. How about a long disaster? We're used to having a disaster last for just weeks um, or at most, you know, a couple of months. But we've been in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic for the last two years or more now. Um, how does a healthcare organisation or a community deal with a long disaster? So a bit of background, uh, we think about disasters in terms of natural disasters or man-made disasters. And for natural disasters, there are earthquakes, floods, cyclones, bushfire, heat waves, and now we know pandemics. Uh, man-made disasters um, include war, famine, and climate change. So 94% of natural catastrophes in 2015 were weather-related events. Many occurred in heavily populated or urban areas. And recently, the um, risk of um, disasters have been multiplied by climate change and increasing urbanization. So damage is large and it's increasingly happening on uninsured properties. Disasters um, that are caused by natural phenomena cost 520 billion and for some 26 million people into poverty each year worldwide. So it is a significant problem. These days, um, with um, disaster management, we take a comprehensive approach um, and uh, we need to balance the reduction of risk and the enhancement of community resilience while ensuring that we are effectively responding and have recovery capabilities from a disaster. We know that uh, in disaster management, there are four main phases, prevention, preparedness, response, and recovery. For, for clinicians, uh, we're mostly um, involved in the preparedness as well as a response stage. In terms of prevention, the big thing um, in the next decade is going to be climate change mitigation. And if we don't, we will see that we will have, we will have an increased number as well as severity of natural disasters, as well as man-made disasters. In terms of uh, natural hazards mitigation, we must prevent the damage caused by disasters by having early warning systems, disease surveillance, and the design of facilities and residentials that can um, survive um, any disasters. In terms of preparedness, uh, we need to develop health structures and systems that build 
community and organizational capability as well as resilience. We need a surveillance system that can function globally and uh, we also need to improve the preparedness of not only first responders and healthcare workers, but also community. So we come to response. Uh, as clinicians, we are used to responding to a disaster and uh, we tend to use the um, incident management system um, taught by MIMS and uh, we try to limit the threat from a hazard and uh, it depends on the hazard of how we approach um, the, uh, the threat. And uh, in terms of evacuating people and communities, that's usually done by um, the fire department or the state emergency services. But uh, occasionally, healthcare workers have been um, at the front line of evacuating people. And I'm thinking about bushfires that affected um, parts of the state of New South Wales where I work, where GPs were in the midst of the disasters um, and uh, they had to both treat the injuries from the disaster as well as uh, um, evacuate people. Um, responding is also um, providing psychosocial support to uh, displaced people um, and um, assessing the health needs and damage to the health system. In terms of recovery, it's really important that uh, a system has time for recovery and the health sector has an important role in supporting community recovery. For best outcomes in a recovery process, we need to understand the community context, the complexity of the evolving situation and use community-led approaches. So in terms of um, update on latest evidence, uh, in the last decade, we have seen um, a paradigm shift in disaster management um, with people and communities building their own resilience in the face of increasing risk of um, natural disasters. So we have uh, vulnerable nations enacting policies and strengthening their capacity to reduce risk with the help of global organizations. Um, and uh, with the improvement in, in information technology, there are also digitized maps, open source data system, um, and also early warning systems that um, uh, countries can use, especially low and middle income countries. Um, there's also um, the uh, increasing focus on uh, community risk and financial risk management. So if we look at um, the four phases of uh, disaster management, um, as we know it, prevention, preparedness, response and recovery, um, there is um, an overlap of uh, risk mitigation in all of them. So we're saying no to reactive approaches, single hazard approach and um, hazard focus approach, and we're seeing we're saying yes to uh, preventative measures and all hazards and all agency approach to disaster management. Um, definitely more investment in early warning system and also building community resilience. The underlying principle of um, all um, disaster management is to continue meeting the sustainable development goals um, that the United Nations have set up and also climate change mitigation. So sticking to the Paris Agreement um, measures. 
So in terms of the sustainable development goals, I just uh, wanted to highlight um, there are 17 goals um, to transform our world and make it um, uh, better for everyone. Um, but um, I wanted to focus on um, our, um, our desire to end poverty, um, to maintain good health and well-being, and also reduce inequalities. And in order to do that, we really have to um, always have the sustainable development goals uh, in the back of my mind, uh, our minds when we prepare our disaster plan. So um, the paradigm shift from disaster response to disaster risk management has really taken flight this decade. We are focusing on more community impact and building resilience during and after a disaster rather than just focusing on the hazards such as um, tropical storms, cyclones and floods in itself. The disaster prepared Partners uh, framework that we know of uh, include the Hyogo framework and more recently the Sendai framework. So the Sendai framework um, is a proactive and systemic risk management approach, uh, which also includes the social determinants of health, such as poverty reduction and building community resilience. So in the Sendai framework, we want to understand disaster risk and we want to strengthen disaster risk governance in different countries, investing in disaster risk reduction, and also enhancing disaster preparedness so that we can respond effectively. In addition, uh, we want to aim to build back better in the recovery phase. Um, there are many implications for disasters for clinical practice, um, and they are divided into direct and indirect effects. So for the direct effects, um, we have disaster-related morbidity and mortality, of course, um, and then also increased presentations to hospital um, due to these direct effects, sometimes overwhelming um, hospitals. And uh, there's also been studies that have shown that uh, during a disaster, there's increased length of stay of patients and uh, increased pressure on hospital, which can impact care for other patients um, non-disaster patients. So um, depending on type of disasters, there's also increased need for drugs, equipment and staff. For the indirect effects, um, there are, um, we know that uh, disaster disproportionately affects poor and medically underserved people. And uh, so we have socioeconomic impacts on patients as well as staff. Um, and vulnerable populations uh, will find it more difficult to seek care. There are mental health impacts um, after a disaster, um, including, you know, the immediate loss of property and, you know, the stress of losing a loved one, but also um, more prolonged mental health impacts. Um, and if the disaster affects the hospital, we can also have loss of medical records. So in terms of um, global um, targets and using the Sendai framework um, to approach a disaster, we would like to, um, of course, reduce mortality and affected people and um, economic losses. And uh, we also want to increase um, countries with local and national uh, disaster risk reduction strategies, as well as uh, encourage more international cooperation. Um, 
going back to uh, consequences of um, disasters, um, so disasters can um, disrupt the physical, environmental, psychological, socio and economic functioning of communities, which can lead to significant health effects. The health um, impacts are, of course, specific to the type of disaster. So we can see that in floods, we will um, the immediate effects is um, drowning or near drowning injuries uh, from floating objects. And um, perhaps a week or two later, we'll also see um, infected wounds um, and uh, also mental health impacts. The economic losses from natural disasters is rising uh, from 50 billion each year in the 1980s to now over 400 billion each year in the last decade. So disasters can disrupt communities, not just health-wise, but in terms of the socio, uh, socio social determinants of health. So um, I've touched on the acute effects of disasters um, and um, the longer term effects are less well known. Um, the stress that a disaster can put on healthcare organisation is enormous because um, we can have um, healthcare workers directly impacted by the disasters um, as well as the um, uh, continuing um, burden on healthcare workers with uh, not just disaster patients but um, other patients with chronic diseases that are impacted by the disaster where they cannot seek help from primary health care providers. And then there's also impact um, on recovery if the disaster is prolonged, such as um, what we are, dis we are in experiencing now um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the increased pressure on hospital is um, not just the initial acute presentation, um, but um, the surge capacity for hospitals um, is um, designed to be short term. And if it starts um, being prolonged, then um, it will be um, quite um, quite a difficult process for the hospital to manage um, continue, continuous high presentations to the hospital. Um, and the longer length of stay just means that um, there will be higher access block in emergency departments and the hospital um, will be under a lot of stress to try to um, place patients, um, either discharging them at home or putting them in um, um, care facilities. So the socioeconomic effects um, are large and significant, um, and not just about loss of property, but um, people will lose their jobs. Um, they will um, there's um, a loss of family members and educational work opportunities, and it causes fragmentation of the community. So, as I've mentioned previously, um, disasters disproportionately affect vulnerable populations. So they affect elderly and the children. Um, and First Nations people. Um, and uh, we have to remember that climate change is a real risk multiplier and we need to address the roots of climate change. And in terms of implications for lower resource settings, um, advances in information technology has definitely improved our ability to manage disasters in lower resource settings. Um, we also have... Um, a possibility of building community resilience um, and using um, all the um, data uh, sources to help planning and have early warning system. 
just want to talk about a few case studies. The first one is Indonesia. During the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2004, um, it resulted in the loss of an estimated 168,000 lives at a cost of 4.4 billion in damages. Uh, this resulted in um, actions on um, the government with increased legislation on disaster management, and they also established a national disaster management agency. And um, significantly, they developed a national risk atlas to map exposure to natural hazards across Indonesia. And they also started thinking about disaster risk financing. The second case study I wanted to touch on is Turkey. Turkey is an earthquake-prone country, um, and uh, during um, a, a large earthquake um, in 2004, they set up an Istanbul seismic risk mitigation and emergency preparedness project, um, and they trained over 6,000 new first responders, uh, as well as 1 million community members on, uh, on um, safe life training. Um, there were also a revamp of the building permit procedures um, and engagement of more volunteers in the basics of emergency preparedness. The third case study I want to talk about is Bangladesh. Bangladesh is, a, is prone to cyclones and flooding. Um, and uh, after um, a significant flood event in 1970, they set up um, their cyclone preparedness program, which uh, completely um, relied um, on 60,000 community volunteers, of which a third were women, to communicate cyclone warnings to their communities. Now with um, IT advances, that can probably um, be improved and uh, um, the volunteers also assist in evacuation efforts um, to serve as first-line relief workers. New technologies have been launched, especially in low middle income countries, um, such as um, GeoNode um, and OpenStreetMap. GeoNode is an open source web-based data platform launched in 2011 that enables users to access, share and visualize geospatial data essential for understanding and communicating um, risk information. Uh, this is all to reduce risk of natural disasters. And the climate risk and early warning system called CRUISE um, also adopted an integrated approach focusing on multi-hazard early warning system. So um, all of this um, has um, brought us to a point where communities are better prepared, but um, we must remember that climate change is a risk multiplier for disasters. And um, we have to address the root causes of climate change, such as going back um, and um, focusing on renewable energy sources um, and having net targets, such as um, reducing CO2 emissions by a certain amount by a certain year, um, so that uh, we have an um, uh, governance structure and also an accountability structure that um, will make us um, safer as a community. We know that disasters can cause multi-billion dollars worth of damage worldwide and prevention should definitely be the main aim. So paradigm shift from disaster response to disaster risk reduction means that um, we're trying um, not just 
to immediately respond to a disaster after the disaster. We are actually trying to build systems and educate the community to reduce the um, uh, the impact of the disaster itself. Um, and we're moving from hazards um, to community resilience as well in our approach. So disasters have immediate short-term and long-term impacts on health and clinical practice. And clinicians should all be involved in this. And uh, we should all be also involved in reducing the impacts of climate change. Thank you. So Lai Heng, thank you for that wonderful uh, lecture and obviously the wonderful pearls of wisdom that preceded that. Um, before we let you go, Lai Heng, um, I always finish every episode with the same question that I ask each of my guests. Um, so if I could take you back on a time machine uh, to meet your junior self just exiting uh, medical school, about to start your career. What one piece of advice, what what one thing have you gained in, in all of your experience since that you would pass on to your junior self just starting their career? That's a great question. Uh, so I would say um, what I've learned um, and what I've approached medicine um, is hasn't changed really. And that is, um, I would advise um, everyone starting their career to always follow their passion. So other people might say, oh, this is a you know, um, specialty that will you know, earn you prestige, earn you money. And, you know, but if you're not passionate about something, then you, you'll find it really hard going uh, because medicine requires a lot of commitment and a lot of determination to follow through. So I find that uh, if you find something that you really love to do, um, that will fuel your um, energy, I guess, to continue pursuing um, that specialization to the end. Um, and it will also continue to give you purpose um, in your medical career. Okay, Lai Heng, thank you so much. That was another wonderful pearl um, to go with everything else you've given us today. Thank you so much. Before we let you go, um, is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners about, anything that you're working on or any um, resources you'd like to share with us? Yes, um, I'd like to um, send a call out to everyone out there who's passionate about um, public health and um, climate change and health to um, look to join the International Federation for Emergency Medicine. We have just set up a new special interest group called the Public and Environmental Health Special Interest Group. And it's for everyone who's uh, really passionate about public health and um, climate change and health. Um, and if you want to join the global community to um, further public health and improve um, the health of your community, I urge you to um, join IFEM and you can find it on www.ifem.cc. Brilliant. Thank you so much for everything you provided today, Lei Heng. Thank you very much. Oh, no worries. Um, I'm so glad that uh, we could uh, actually, you know, align the time uh, to, to meet <laughs> and uh, I uh, applaud your project and um, I just think that, uh, you know, you're improving 
um, inequality in access to medical education and improving healthcare that way. And yeah, I really salute you on your project and happy to help out whenever. You're very kind. Thank you so much for joining me today. So many, many thanks again to Lai Heng Fung for that wonderful talk and her wonderful pearls of wisdom. Remember, you can watch the lecture in its entirety at www.continuous.com forward slash LP forward slash St. Mungo's. And please share that link with your friends and colleagues. Until next time, please take care. <laughs>